Let's jump into week number three, uh, one of the most challenging weeks for many parents because we're talking about discipline. Discipline motivated by love. Discipline is not a fun topic. It's not an easy topic to deal with, uh, but it's so needed in our world today that we as parents begin to understand biblical discipline, how to guide and correct children and lead them down a path that they will be successful in life, spiritually, uh, emotionally, career-wise. We want them to understand responsibility and discipline. Let's start with a working definition of discipline today, a working definition of discipline. If you'd like to follow along, all the notes and scripture are in your worship pack on the seat. There's some fill-in-the-blanks there for you. Or if you're a version person, you can follow along on version on your iPad or BlackBerry. Uh, if you go to version Live Events, Parenthood Week Number 3, you will see right up there under Live Events. A working definition of discipline. Number one, discipline is correction driven by love. Discipline is correction driven by love. The motivation of discipline is love. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says it like this. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline is always motivated by love. If there is not love, it's not discipline and it's punishment. We're going to talk in a moment the difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline is always motivated by love and the well-being of the child. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says it like this. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Those are strong words. If you do not discipline your child biblically and effectively, you will ruin their lives. The NIV says it like this. Do not be a willing party to his death. Very, very strong words. What is the goal of discipline? The goal of discipline is obedience. The goal of discipline is to teach a child obedience. And parents, you have to understand there is a battle going on in your home. There is a War raging in your house for who has control. And this is a battle that we must win and we must win it decisively. Because if you find yourself continually threatening your child, uh, I'm not going to tell you again, I'm not going to tell you again, I'm not going to tell you, nagging them, having to say it eight, nine times, having to count to three over and over and over again then you are losing the battle of discipline. And I understand this is tough. People say, well, I don't want to be a mean parent. You know, I want to be my child's friend. I grew up with an authoritarian, you know, disciplinary figure, and I don't want to be that with my child. I want to be their friend and be, be loving. Listen, discipline is motivated by love. Discipline is loving. Number two, this brings me to my second point that I really want you to understand today is discipline is not something that you do to your child. It is something that you do for your child. Discipline is not something that you do to your child. It is something you do for your child. Ziegler says it like this. A child that has not been disciplined with love by his little world, meaning his family, will be disciplined without love by the great big world. We see that every day in this generation. If your child is not disciplined with love in your home, they will be disciplined by the world without love 
without grace, and it will not be pretty, and oftentimes it will be tragic because there are consequences to actions. But let's first start with what is the difference between discipline and punishment? Throw that chart up there for me a second. I want to explain because what we are against at Coastline Church is punishment. I do not believe you should ever punish a child. Punishment and discipline are radically different concepts. And I want you to understand both of them because we do not endorse or support punishment. We believe in biblical discipline as a church, never punishing a child. Let's first look at the purpose of punishment. The purpose of punishment is to inflict a penalty for an offense. The purpose of punishment is to inflict a penalty for a child's offense. The purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity. Discipline is always about their future. It's about correcting their behavior for the benefit of their future, never just punishing them for doing something wrong. The focus of punishment is always on past misdeeds or behavior. The focus on discipline is on future correct acts. The attitude of discipline is often hostility, it's frustration, it's anger, it's reactionary. The attitude of discipline is love and concern for your child. The resulting emotion in a child, if you punish them, is fear, it's guilt, it's insecurity, it's anger. The resulting emotion in a child of discipline is security, love, confidence, and stability. Discipline is critically important that we understand as parents, effective discipline, biblical discipline. Let me first talk about undisciplined parents, because I think one of the big problems in our world today is the reason we have undisciplined children is because we have undisciplined parents. We have parents who are not disciplined today. It's an epidemic in America of parents that are undisciplined. We're going to look at three types of parents who are undisciplined. And I want you to be very honest with yourself this morning. If you find yourself in one of these categories, be very honest with it and deal with it and take a step closer to Christ in that area for the sake of your children. Deal with this. The first area of undisciplined parents we see in America today is lifeguard parents. Lifeguard parents. They often rescue a child from consequences. Lifeguard parents often rescue their children from consequences. Little Johnny gets in trouble and super mom swoops in to save the day. How do you know if you're a lifeguard parent? Well, if you've brought your uh, son or daughter lunch or or son lunch uh, more than three times this semester to school because they forgot their lunch, you may be a lifeguard parent. And if your son is a sophomore in college, you may be the worst type of lifeguard parents. What is lifeguard parenting? It's never allowing them to face the consequences of their own sin. When you don't allow a child to face the consequences of their actions, to face the consequences of their sin, to face the consequences of their mistakes, they grow up incredibly irresponsible, not understanding there are consequences for every action. And why is this so important? Because we want them to understand God's economy. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 puts it like this. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God for whatever, for you will always harvest what you plant. For every action, there is a corresponding consequence in life, good or bad. And we have to allow children to understand there are consequences for their actions. We can't always bail them out and save them every time they get in trouble. What do I mean? Your child goofs off all week and he's got a science project due on Friday. 
Well, we as parents, God forbid, they fail a class. We swoop in the night before and do their science project for them to make sure they get it done, never allowing them to face the consequence of not having it done because they were irresponsible during the week. That is lifeguard parenting. Your son or daughter takes their lunch money and they spend it on their favorite CD or something else they wanted. Well, God forbid they go without lunch. So what do we do? We give them more money to make sure they can eat as opposed to allowing them to miss a lunch because they spent their money on something they weren't supposed to spend it on. Children have to understand consequences for their actions or they will never take responsibility when they grow up. What's another form of undisciplined parents? Number two, what I call etch-a-sketch parents. Etch-a-sketch parents. They are often inconsistent. You know what an etch-a-sketch is? It's a little tablet about the size of a Bible. You draw lines and then you shake it and the lines go away. It's what people in Arkansas use for home computers. I'm sorry. Do we have any Arkansas people here today? All right, never mind, never mind. What, what is Etch-A-Sketch parenting? The lines are always moving. The, the lines are never consistent. One day something's wrong, the next day it's okay. It's always changing. Proverbs 29, verse 15 and 17 says it like this. To discipline a child produces wisdom. In the Hebrew, it says the rod of correction. The rod, the Hebrew word Shabbat, produces wisdom. But a mother is disgraced by an un discipline child discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and they will make your heart glad why why is it so easy to be an etch-a-sketch parent and i've got to be honest this is the category i fall into this is the area that that has really convicted me this week because it's so easy for me to be an etch-a-sketch parent why because we're tired we're exhausted let me just be honest i get lazy sometimes I have a long day at work. I get home, depending on my mood, depending on how tired I am, depending how lazy I am, will will depend on where the lines are that night. If I'm tired, I'll let something slide. The next night I can jump all over my son for based on whatever mood that I'm in. I'm an etch-a-sketch parent. Laziness. Children need stability. They know where the lines are. One night, I'm Nazi dad. You can't do that. The next night, I'm cruise ship director dad. It's the love boat. Everything goes. There's no consistency. The line is always moving. And I've I've really been challenged this week in this area that I need to be more disciplined with my son. Because honestly, one night something's wrong. The next night I let it slide based on what kind of mood I'm in. If I had a long day at work, if I'm tired, if I'm exhausted, I just don't want to get off the couch and deal with it. So I'll let it slide. But then the next night I deal with it, it confuses my son. It creates instability and insecurity in his life. And I don't result in effective parenting. Third, third type of undisciplined parents that we see often in America today is ununified parents, parents that are not unified in their parenting, split decision parents. They're split decision parents. Amos 3 verse 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? No, you have to be in agreement. The most important thing in parenting is to be unified in front of your children. If you're arguing about the discipline and argue, do it behind closed doors. 
You need to be unified in front of your kids. They've got to see unity. Because guess what? I don't know where they learn it. I think there's a class in preschool that they teach it. But kids learn how to play parents against each other at a very young age. My wife and I find ourselves trying to think of ways to outsmart our four-year-old. I don't know where they learn. Okay, if mom says no, I'll go ask dad. And and they get different answers and there's no unity. There's no agreement. And let's be honest. Let's talk about the real world because I know we've got some real world issues in today. Divorce complicates this. Divorce complicates this. I mean, you've got people who, who, who may not like each other, may not get along at all. I know this is gets very complicated, but for the sake of your children, do your best to work with that, that, that divorced person so that at least in the area of discipline, you are unified in an agreement for the sake of your child. We have blended family parents that we have to deal with. You know, and one of the attitudes with a lot of blended family parents today is, well, those are your kids. Those are my kids. No, no, no. If you are married, biblically speaking, you become one. It is one family, and it's critically important. You don't have two sets of rules in your home, but there is agreement, and you are working together in the area of discipline, and you are unified. If you disagree, do it behind closed doors. You've got to support your spouse in everything. Uh, Josh McDowell told a story. His son, Sean's a, a friend of mine, and and told this story about their daughter, 11 years old, that had a really nasty problem back-talking their mom. Just always disrespectful, rude, always showing an attitude uh, to mom, just, just back-talking, disrespectful, and they tried everything. They could not get this girl to stop back-talking their mother. So Josh finally sat his daughter down one day, 11 years old, and he looked at her in the eye and he says, Listen to me. You may talk to your mother that way, but you will never again talk to my wife that way. She is not just your mom. She is my wife. And let's be honest, men. If another guy talked to your wife the way your kids talk to your wife, you'd probably knock him out. They wouldn't get away with it. Why are you letting your children get away with it? Why are you allowing your children to disrespect the woman you married? To disrespect the woman that you stood at an altar with before God and made an oath before God to take care of, to love, and to cherish, and you allow your kids to disrespect them. Do not ever allow your children to disrespect your wife. That, that is not good. That, that they need to see unity. They need to see agreement in the home. And, and that is a must in your family. They need to know that they're not just mom, but that woman is your wife. And you gave your life for her, just as Christ gave his life for the church, and you stand behind her and support her. Does that make sense? So let's look at some parental expectations. We need to know what, do, what should we expect as parents? What, what standards, what expectations should we establish in our home as parents? Number one, we expect first-time and cheerful obedience. With your children, you need to set a standard in your home that you expect first time and cheerful obedience when you give them instruction. Why? Because Colossians 3 verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents after the fourth warning. (laughs) Children, obey your parents after you've told them, I'm not going to say this again for the eighth time. No, it says children, always, 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 always obey your parents for this 
pleases the Lord. You're doing it because it pleases the Lord. The Bible doesn't say obey your parents when you feel like it. Obey your parents after they've warned you and threatened you and they've counted to three countless times. We expect first time obedience. Why? Because God expects it of us. We expect it of our children. We set that standard in our home. We, we, we expect that. that. That is what our family values expect. Why? Because it's what God expects of us. And again, week one, we said our job is to transfer a child's dependence away from us onto God. Well, if God expects this, then it must be expected in our home. But not only do we expect outward first-time obedience, we also expect inward obedience. First-time and cheerful Obedience is the expectation. Why? Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Your child's attitude is more important than their actions. And I want to leave you with this or, or, or share this statement with you. Discipline more for your child's attitude than their actions. Discipline more for attitude than for Actions, because if you get the attitude right, the actions will fall in line. Children need to understand that there are certain attitudes that are not acceptable in the home. Because, yes, you may get outward compliance, but if they are inwardly rebelling, you're going to be in a lot of hurt moving down the road. And you know what I mean? You get home from work and you've got a kid that's been mouthing off to your wife all day. Why have you been disrespecting your mom? I haven't been disrespecting mom. You've been disrespecting mom. Have, you've been talking back to her. I'm not talking back to her. Go to your room. I'm not going to my room. I said, go to your room. I'm not going to go to my room. Right now, go to your room. Fine, I'll go to my room. Bam. And then men, we walk away. I sure showed him. No, 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 you didn't. He just showed you. You got outward compliance, but you got inward rebellion. You got a nasty, terrible, sick, cancerous, rebellious attitude inside of them. Again, we discipline more for attitude than for actions. They may obey, but if they do it with a sick attitude, you're destroying that child long term. That's why we correct. That's why we set a standard in the home where we expect first time and cheerful obedience. And I know this isn't easy. I get it. But you have to start somewhere. You've got to start. You've got to move down this path. And you've got to get there for the sake of your child. What's another expectation we have as a parent? And this is a big one. And I really want you to get this today. Number two, we agree as parents that we will never, never Never, never, ever, under any circumstances, discipline in anger. There is no anger in discipline. We are against angry discipline because if there is anger, it is not discipline, it is punishment. And there is way too much of this going on in the world today. I, I, I talked to a mom right after first service who said just this week, looking in the backyard of a neighbor, a mom got mad and just angry in the moment, took a book and hauled off and whacked their kid. We are against that. We are against abuse of any form. We are not for child abuse and anger and discipline is abuse. Anger will not give you the response you want. And listen, parents, I know, I, 
I get this. This may be like a light bulb to you. This may be the first time you've ever heard this, but, but let me just explain something to you about your child. This next 10 days, they are going to do something. And I know, you, I, I know you believe your child's perfect and they've never done anything wrong and they'll never do anything wrong. But in the next 10 days, they are going to do something that sets you off. I know that's a shock. I know it's hard to believe, but they will do something, especially if you have teenagers. They'll do something that disturbs you or sets you up. Decide today how you're going to handle it. Because if you react in the moment, it's anger. If you act shocked, I can't believe they did that, and you get angry and you fly off in that moment, that is anger. You decide ahead of time how you're going to discipline when those situations occur. You don't act shocked and surprised when a kid misbehaves. You make a plan ahead of time because you know it's going to come if you have a kid. I mean, you know they're going to misbehave at least once. Make a plan ahead of time on how you're going to discipline in love so that in that moment you're not shocked, you're not taken off guard, you're not angry, and you don't just enrage and fly off the handle. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Never be motivated by anger in your discipline. It is not healthy. Discipline is motivated with love, not by anger anger. Uh, and, and, I, and I get it. It's hard. It, it, it's, it's, it's not easy to control because you get, I don't know about you. I don't know if, if, if Amanda and I are the only couple like this, but are we the only couple that for some reason, when you put us in an automobile, fights happen? Are we the only couple that ever fights in a car? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You get two couples in a car and I'm not saying every time, but I mean, no, sometimes the car fights are the worst and they always happen on the way to church. That's always like the worst. It's always the way to church. You get into the worst fight in the car and then you're mad. You're speeding down the road. You're, and I don't know what happened this particular day. I don't even know if we are fighting this day, but we're driving down the road and Asher in the back seat yells out, dad, you need a spanking. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Well, fortunately my wife waited till she calmed down and, and, not out of anger. I'm kidding. She didn't spank me. <laughs> but that, uh, I know, they, I'm just trying to make, you know, it, this is, this, I know this is a touchy subject. It, it is a little controversial to talk about spanking. And I know that it's not politically correct today uh, anymore, but I do believe it's biblically correct. And I'm not telling you you should or shouldn't do anything. What I am trying to do today is say, if you believe in it, understand certain guidelines. It is never done by anger. And if you're against spanking today, the argument against spanking today is that it produces angry, uh, maladjusted, insecure, mentally disordered children. That's the argument today. If you spank today, you are going to have an angry child. Well, follow that line of logic just for a moment. My generation was the last generation to be spanked in school. I remember when when I, I played football in junior high in West Texas, you did not mouth off to the coach because the coach had a paddle. The paddle's name was the Board of Education, and you did not want to go meet with the Board of Education. They would drill holes in it, and that thing would sail through the air. And I had a coach who could get you about two inches off the ground. But I, I, I tell you one thing. You only mouth off to him once. One time you mouthed off, and you never opened your mouth again. And I appreciate the fact that I was taught at a young age to not mouth off to authority. Because we have too many kids today. You talk to public school teachers today, and it is a nightmare working in a public school system today. 
Because kids can cuss you out. They can say any filthy thing they want to say to you. And there's no recourse. There's, there's, no, there, there's no effective discipline in public schools today. I mean, all you can do is expel the child. That's it. That doesn't correct their behavior. That doesn't train them for the future. You throw them out to become criminals and gang members and everything else. So with that line of logic that spanking produces angry children, that means my generation should be angry, bitter, broken, maladjusted, and teenagers today should be the most peaceful, loving, gentle, no disorder generation ever. Does that sound like our generation today? I'm just, I'm just giving you the logic behind it. I'm not saying for it. I'm just giving you the logic behind it. But what I do want to say, if you do uh, decide as a family that spanking is for you, understand biblically what it is. Go to Focus on the Family website, Dr. James Dobson. He's got some great articles on how biblically spanking, spanking is never injuring a child. It's never hitting a child. You have to understand it, it is different. You, you don't punch, you don't kick, you don't slap, you don't grab their arm, you don't pull their ear. I mean, spanking is not abusive. If you understand biblically what it's about and never do it out of anger. Never strike a child out of anger under any circumstance at all. You know, if you do believe spanking is for you, never spank in the moment. Let the child go to their room, calm down so that it can be motivated by love and instruction and and reconciliation. Understand what it is. And I know know this is controversial. I, I can already feel emails coming this week into my inbox. I just feel them right now in the cyberspace heading towards my inbox. I I understand. All I want to do is say, if you believe in it, make sure you do it biblically. Make sure it's never abusive. It's never violent. It's never done in anger. It's always done in love and correction and guiding the child to the right result. There's some scripture in your notes about it. And again, we are not for child abuse here. Never hit a child. Never strike a child. That that is not what biblical spanking is. You got to understand it if you decide that is for you, because God help you if you abuse a child. God help you. The Bible says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be tossed into the ocean than to abuse a child. And there's nothing that I have no tolerance for than child abuse. I mean, if I see somebody abusing a child, it makes my blood boil, and I want to take action then. And I thank God He doesn't put me in those situations because I would be in jail if He put me in a situation where I actually saw child abuse occurring. I would go to jail for it because uh, it's something that I just can't handle is seeing a child abuse. So, do you understand what I'm saying? I know a church like this is probably 50-50, so the 50% of the side that says that's for our family, make sure you do it in love, make sure you do it biblically, make sure you never injure or abuse a child if that is for you. Number three, the last point I want to hit today before we close is we will discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. Discipline has instruction and reconciliation if it's going to be effective. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says it like this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction. Discipline has to be coupled with instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, how do we do this? Well, step one is you have to help the child understand what they did was wrong. They have to admit their sin. You've got to walk him through the process. I sit down with my son, Asher, what did you do? Why was it wrong? What, what action? And I never tell my son he's bad. Never tell your children they are bad. They are not bad. They may commit bad actions, but they are not bad. They, they never say you are being bad, 
because you are speaking that into them. They may commit a bad action, but that is not who they are. Don't speak into who they are. Speak into what they do. Does that make sense? I never tell a child they are being bad or they are bad. Tell them that was a bad action. That is unacceptable. You are not bad. You are a good child. That's a bad action. That is not acceptable here. So we lead the child to understand what they did was wrong. They have to take ownership for their sin. They've got to admit responsibility. You can't discipline them if they don't know why they're being disciplined. Second thing is I always ask my son, what can you do differently next time? What's the right response? What's the Because you've got to instruct them. There has to be instruction. You have to teach them and correct them the, on the right way to handle that situation or how they should behave or what positive good actions are. You've got to correct them and instruct them. Discipline without correction is a failure. It turns into punishment if there's no correction. There's got to be correction. And then you have to explain reconciliation. You say, listen, this was a bad consequence. That was a bad action. Here's the consequence. Here's the discipline. Now let's reconcile. And after the discipline is given, you love them, you hug them, you kiss them, you hold them, and you teach them reconciliation. And then you move on and you never bring it up again. You never bring it up again. You don't beat them over the head with it all day long. You don't remind them every five minutes. You move on. Why? Because at the end of this, we're trying to teach them about the cross. We're trying to teach them about the cross of Jesus Christ. Kids have to understand there's a penalty for sin. There's consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death. If children aren't disciplined and they don't understand that there are consequences for their actions, they'll never understand grace. They'll never understand salvation. They won't know the need for Why do I need salvation? The only reason you need salvation is when you understand there's consequences. That's, there's a price that has to be paid for every action. There's a price that has to be paid for every sin. And what happens when you learn to effectively discipline your child and they understand God's economy, that, that every sin produces a consequence, and they understand that their sin has consequences, and Jesus had to be punished. He had to suffer. He had to die. He had to pay the penalty for your sin. He took your consequences. Then they can say, I'm saved, and not take their salvation for granted child doesn't understand consequences, he'll never understand grace. They'll never understand what salvation really is. They'll always take it for granted. The verse we started with in the NIV, Proverbs 19, 18 says, do not be a willing party to his death. And I thought that's a little strong, isn't it? That may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I thought about it. Not too long ago, a couple months ago, me and Asher were playing outside in our little driveway area, playing with the ball, and he kicked the ball into the street, and he took off running for the road. But the way the cars were parked on our street that day, he couldn't see there was a car flying up our street. And I had to yell, Asher, stop. And I'm telling you, if he didn't listen to my voice, if he didn't respect my voice, if he didn't learn, what's the goal of discipline? To teach obedience. If he didn't learn to obey my voice... There'd have been an incredible tragedy that day. And his lack of obedience would have led to his death that day or something, another form of injury. The Bible's very clear. And the Bible's not joking. Discipline is no exaggeration. If you don't learn to effectively discipline your children, and I know it's tough, 
you could possibly lead to their death. Destruction. Tragedy on life. Tragedy on earth. We have too many kids today in a whole world of trouble right now because they were not loved and disciplined in home. If you don't discipline a child, you don't love a child. Plain and simple. Without discipline, if you don't discipline a child and and your excuse is love, the person you're loving is yourself. Because if you love that child, you'll discipline them. If you love yourself, you won't discipline them because it's uncomfortable for you and you love your feelings more than what's best for your child. If you don't discipline at home, you love yourself, not your child. Let's be honest with that. I know that may not be what you wanted to hear today, but that's the truth. We discipline motivated by love because we want to steer their future. We want them to learn to be responsible. We want them to learn how to walk as young men and young women with godly character and integrity, not back-talking authority. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close. I know this has not been an easy message today. It's never fun talking about discipline. It's never fun being disciplined. But it's so needed in the world today. But before we close, let me just ask this. We talked just very briefly about the cross and salvation. I just want to ask a very simple question today. Are you born again? Are you born again? The Bible says, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to go to heaven. You must be born again if you want to go to heaven. Doesn't say you got to go to church. Jesus said, many there will be who find destruction, few there are that find life. If what Jesus is saying is true, and I believe what he said was true, there are going to be many more people who find their way to hell than find their way to heaven. That's the reality. That's Jesus' words. Why? Because people turn their back on God. They don't want anything to do with them. question for you is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Are you one of the few that are going to find life? And I know this is a tough question to ask because if you go to a funeral today, everybody's going to heaven. Well, we don't, we don't even understand in our culture today what being born again is about because every preacher lies at a funeral. No matter how the person lived their life or how bad they were, Everybody goes to heaven at a funeral. But if what Jesus said was true, then that can't be true. So the question I want to ask you today is, have you been born again? Not do you attend church, not do you read the Bible. Have you been born again? Has your life been changed by Christ? Is he the driving force of who you are? There's a lot of people that said, well, I met God when I was young, but my life didn't really change till I was older. Your life changes when you're born again. Meeting God, there's a lot of people I've met that haven't changed my life. You may have met God, but the question is, have you been born again? Only you know the answer to that. So before I close, if, if, if you're not confident of the answer to that today, and I'd like to lead you in a simple process that Jesus taught in Scripture on what it means to be born again. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you don't know the condition of your soul, you really don't know. Know, that you can't answer adamantly, yes, I am born again. Would you raise your hand so that I can say a prayer for you right now? Just raise your hand. Nobody looking around. Thank you. 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 This is, this is a very simple process. Let me lead you in how to do it. 
First step is I want you to pray to yourself. God can hear your thoughts. Pray to yourself, and I want you to ask God to come into your life and be number one. Ask God, just say, listen, I want to be born again. I want you in my life. So just right now in your own words, say, God, I want you to be number one in my life. Second part of that prayer is just ask forgiveness. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. So just say, God, forgive me. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And then the last part of that prayer is I just want you to say thank you. Show your gratefulness. Just say, God, thank you for saving me. That's it. That's it. And what I want to encourage you to do today is take it one step further. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So what I want you to do today is if you raise your hand and you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell somebody today that you prayed that prayer. Just tell somebody. Just say, listen, today I prayed that prayer and I put God first in my life. Another thing I would encourage you to do is in your worship pack, there's these connect cards. I would encourage you to check a box on the back of the connect card that says, I put God first today. You can drop this card off in one of the tithe and offering boxes in the back. We will connect with you this week and we'll give you some instruction on what it means to walk out your faith with God being number one and God being first. Would you stand with me as we close? In your notes, there's some questions that I would encourage you to go home, talk about them as a couple. Be honest, evaluate where you're at. I had to be honest this week. Again, I was the Etch-a-Sketch parent. I had to be honest. The lines are always moving based on how tired or lazy I am that day. And I've had to become more consistent for the sake of my son because I love him. Be honest about where you're at and figure out what you need to do. Take a couple steps. Sign up for the parenting conference. Come back next week. That'll be a great next step for you. As we leave, I just want to pray a blessing over you as parents because I know it's tough. It is tough being a parent in today's world. It's not easy at all. Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. He'll guide you. Some of this stuff today may have been new to you and say, man, I don't even know where to begin. Just take one step. Just take a step. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for our parents that you would bless them. God, it is not easy raising your children. But these kids are yours. You have just entrusted us with them for a very short time. And God, we want to honor you and honor them and do our best to lead them with love and discipline and correction for their hope and for their future. Teaching them how to obey God so that they will transfer that to you and obey you in all things so that they'll learn to live productive lives. God, we do this for their sake, not our own. God, because to do this, we've got to deny ourselves because it's tough to discipline. It goes against our comfort. It challenges our laziness. But God, for the sake of our children, let us learn to love them enough that we will give them effective, biblical, godly discipline in loving ways. And we will never, God, punish them or operate in anger in our home. If we are angry, God, let us, let us go calm down before we deal with the situation so that we can be motivated by love in everything we deal with. We thank you. Bless these parents. Bless these grandparents. Bless these future parents. In the name of Jesus Christ.